Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 11. I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We're going to read part of it now and part of it a little bit later in the sermon. You're you're going to find it to be pretty familiar at first, uh, though you might be surprised how it's not as familiar as you might think. Luke chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. We'll get back to that text a little bit later. The disciples do not start a lot of teaching with Jesus. They do occasionally ask him questions. They do sort of respond to Jesus' questions sometimes. But most of the conversation that they initiate is not good. It's like, who will sit at your right hand and your left in your kingdom kind of questions. But there was one particular time where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something. And it's this moment. Teach us to pray. Apparently John the Baptist had done this for his disciples also. And so they wanted to know how Jesus prayed. Now, these are first century Jews. They know how to pray. They know the words to say. They've grown up praying their entire lives. They went to the temple. They know how to pray. But what they notice is that Jesus' prayers are different than the ones that they have heard. The, the, The repetitious prayers that they had seen in worship, the great grand prayers that the Pharisees might have prayed to impress other people. But Jesus' prayer life was entirely different. It was personal. It was passionate and it was powerful. Jesus not only taught his disciples to pray, but he healed with prayer. He kicked business people out of the temple because it was supposed to be a house of prayer. He cast out demons with prayer and in fact even said that that's the only way the demons can be passed, uh, can be cast out. He prayed a lot, often escaping to gardens and to quiet places. Just when Jesus would start to amass a crowd and we would want to collect everybody's email and do a new members class, Jesus would leave the crowd and go and pray somewhere in a garden by himself. Jesus prayed with tears. Sweat drops of blood in prayer. Went into the desert for 40 days of prayer. Spent long nights praying when the disciples could not stay awake. And the night before he went to the cross, Jesus went to prayer for comfort and for strength. From the cross, Jesus cried out to the Father. Jesus died praying. And it's not just Jesus. The early Christians were the same way. In Acts 1, as the disciples are waiting for Pentecost, they wait in prayer. Four times in the book of Acts, it says that the early Christians were devoted to prayer. If you read Paul's letters, you find he prays a lot. He often tells people in his letters that he's praying for them and encourages them to be in prayer as well. 
He never prays against their situation. Okay, a lot of those churches he's writing to are under persecution and going through really hard things. And you know what? He never prays that those situations would change, but he does pray for them in those situations. In fact, Paul gives us one of the strongest commandments to pray in the whole Bible. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, Pray without ceasing, or pray continually. For Paul, who cared very much about the conduct of Christians, cared very much about the behavior of Christians, he understood that inside of the Christian was something else going on, an inner life, a part of the faith that, where we stayed continually connected to and plugged into God through prayer. And he constantly is asking the people he writes to to pray. This shouldn't surprise us because the Old Testament itself is full of prayers. The early fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all plead with brutal honesty and earnestness for God to do certain things. Moses essentially prayed Israel out of Egypt. Every time he does one of these miraculous things, he prays. He goes so far as in Deuteronomy 4-7 to say this, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Moses says, you want to know why Israel is so great and got out of Egypt and is becoming a people? It's because we pray. Samuel prayed to God and often called, it, called others to pray. He called it a sin to not fail to pray to God. David wrote many of the Psalms. And if you go back and read a bunch of the Psalms, what you're going to find is that sometimes David prayed so honestly, so brutally honest, that we would probably call it blasphemy to cry out to God in such ways. Solomon prays one of the most amazing prayers ever in the scriptures when he dedicates the temple. Job, this book of struggle for this man for whom God seems to be against, is essentially a book of prayer as Job figures out who to believe and what to think of what he's going through. We don't seem to realize this, but... but a lot of Jewish people today stop multiple times a day to pray. A lot of people from the Muslim faith stop multiple times a day to pray. Did you know that Christians for, throughout much of their history did exactly the same thing? They would stop to pray. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? Why is he thrown in the lion's den? Because he refuses to stop his daily prayer. He refuses to listen to the king and stop praying three times a day. Jeremiah, when the, the Israelites are in exile, calls for them to pray for their neighbors in exile. He calls for them to be a people of prayer even though they are far away from their homeland. Nehemiah, when, when he finally finishes the walls of Jerusalem, prays a series of great prayers. In fact, the Old Testament have two books, Psalms and Lamentations, that are almost all prayer. Think about the grand nature of prayer how large and multifaceted it is in the Bible. Sometimes brutally raw and honest, often coming out of our understanding of the Trinity in the New Testament, often related to scriptures. You find if you look at the language of Jesus and Paul and others in prayer, they're often referring to language that comes right out of the Psalms. Prayer is hugely important. It is really the battery, the power of a Christian. Now, think about how most of us pray today. 
How do most of us pray? When do we pray? When do we pray? Primarily at meals, right? Do you know that the Bible never says to pray at meals? In fact, if you go back and do some work in history, you're going to find that throughout much of history, people did not eat three meals a day. What they used to do is pray three times a day. And so somehow we got grace connected with prayer, uh, grace before meals connected with prayer, but that's not really what the Bible talks about. Even Jesus praying at the Lord's Supper, he's praying at a Jewish festival that involved a lot of prayer. So we pray at mealtimes. Normally that's one of the only times we pray, if we even pray then. We pray that the Lord would bless this food to our bodies. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but that, for some of our meals, is essentially asking for a miracle, right? I mean, if you're praying this prayer at McDonald's and you're saying, Lord, let this McDouble be a blessing to my body, you are asking for a miracle. And yet we just sort of routinely say, bless this food to our bodies. Sometimes we pray for those who don't have as much in the world. That's probably not a bad thing to pray. And we also pray for the hands that prepared it. Does anybody else do that? I know as the pastor, if I pray at a meal, I'm supposed to say that. Dude, that's not in the Bible either. Uh, although the guys at McDonald's probably really do appreciate that. Where else do we pray? We pray here the Lord's Prayer, although we say it so routinely that sometimes we might also move right into you know, the claim that it's the property of Major League Baseball, the way we just routinely say. We, we get into some other kind of thing that we've heard over and over again. We're not really thinking about those words. Or we pray in times of desperation. Prayers of panic or prayer, quick prayer for someone else who's going through prayer, panic on the prayer tree or something else. Now, I don't know that those are necessarily bad things, But does that prayer look anything like the prayer in the Bible? Not really. The prayer in the Bible is so much bigger than that. There are all kinds of different prayers in the Bible. Different ways to pray. Different positions to take when you pray. uh, One being of anger to God. Lament or sadness. Sometimes being just prayers of praise to God. Do we pray that way? Prayers of confession. How many of us pray a prayer of confession other than Sunday morning? And yet prayers of confession and repentance are often found in the scriptures. Now we're in the next couple weeks going to look at how to pray. We're going to talk even more in detail about the Lord's Prayer and some other instructions Jesus and others give us. But today I want to just pay attention to this grandeur prayer. Let's look at this text again. Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer as Jesus gives it here. You notice immediately that we have added a bunch of stuff to it. This is just a very basic outline for prayer Jesus gives us. But I want to especially pay attention this morning to what Jesus says following giving the disciples that prayer. So they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, 
Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not, though he will not get up and give, you, give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of the impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So it's not because of friends, but it's because you don't want to be known as the person that won't give up, get up. So you go ahead and groggily get out of bed anyway. And I tell you, Jesus continues, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In teaching prayer here, Jesus gives three metaphors. First of all, this man who you go to in the middle of the night trying to get something that you need, and He won't turn you away. He'll at least answer you because there's pressure to do that. You're supposed to be a kind person. Jesus is saying, God will answer you. If you'll answer each other, even though you don't necessarily care about each other, how much more will God answer you? Metaphor number two, asking, seeking, and knocking. This this persistent going after God, and what is Jesus saying here? That God responds. God doesn't just answer. He doesn't just hear your prayer. God responds to your prayer. And what about this last metaphor? Where if you, a father would not give a serpent for a fish or a scorpion for an egg. Okay? Egg and fish, things that you needed, that you used a lot. Uh, serpents and scorpions are things that are poisonous in those, those, that place, generally. And so, that's harm. God responds to you. God hears you. He responds. But he does not respond to you with evil. God responds to you with good Because he is a father. This was a radically different orientation to prayer than these Jewish men had ever heard in their lives. Nobody prayed to God this way. Pray to God as father. Understand God as caring for you and responding to you. Jesus shows us what prayer is really all about. Prayer is fundamentally two things. It's fundamentally a relational act. It's an act of relationship between God and us where we have conversation. Conversation that God started, that we don't get to start. But it's an ongoing discussion. And Jesus says it to pray to God as Father. Probably he used the the even lighter term. We use Father as as really kind of a a nicer, uh, stronger term. It was probably more like Abba, Daddy. When you pray, pray Daddy. Pray, Dada. Pray with an innocence of a child coming to their father. Jesus is giving this radical orientation that says, God loves you, cares for you like a father, and you can run to him with whatever you need. It's a relational act. But prayer is also a positional act. If this God is real, then I've got I've to look at how my relationship with God is. If God is real and I run to him, that, makes, that means I'm acknowledging that I don't have all the answers, but that I need God. 
This feels almost fake to us, doesn't it? To pray, to talk to a God that in, for most of our lives we think of more distant and more imaginative. But not for Jesus. Not the way he prays. He prays as if God is right there with him. He asks us to pray as if our lives depend on it. As if God is really what we need. And so it's not fake at all. It's actually an acknowledgement when we pray that that's who we really are. And that's the way the world really is. And the rest of our lives need to be oriented around that and not vice versa. If you start praying like that over time, your life has to change. You cannot live life the same way if you pray with God, to God as if he's real. But if all you do is pray at grace and thank God for the food and ask that these Cheetos nourish your body, then that's almost a pretend God. That's almost a God that you can ignore. But if you start really praying to God as if he's here, that's going to change you in the long run. If this is true, if Jesus' way of talking about prayer, if the Bible's way of talking about prayer is true, then perhaps our anemic prayer life is part of the problem in the church today. Christians without their power source because they're not plugged in through prayer. And when a crisis comes, their faith cannot hold up because they're not connected. Or churches without their potency because they don't have enough prayer mixed in. The faith has largely lost its influence in our culture, and I wonder if it's because we're not enough people of prayer. So I want to challenge you to try something out this week. It's going to be a little strange, okay? but I'm going to, I'm going to give you homework here. Okay? The homework, I think, can really change your prayer life. What I want you to do this week is I want you to go into a room, and you probably need to lock the door so that nobody else sees this. Okay? And set up chairs. You can have more comfortable chairs than these. And I dare you, for 10 minutes a day, this whole week, to sit down in a chair, open it to a psalm, I don't even think it matter what it is, and read that psalm a couple times. Just, just read it through. And then use that language, use those ideas from the psalm to talk to Jesus as if he's in the chair right here. Now theologically, is Jesus in the chair right there? Yeah, God's everywhere, right? In fact, the Holy Spirit is within you. We can even more realistically talk to our chests if we wanted, I guess, but that's even more weird. I would suggest for you to imagine God sitting in the chair across from you. If God was actually sitting in that chair, what would you say? How different would your prayer life be? We're not praying about Cheetos and McDonald's anymore. Okay? What if God is really there? And take 10 minutes to try to do this. It's going to be excruciatingly painful. And I really think you should lock the door so nobody else walks in on you doing this, talking to an empty chair. But what if your prayer life was that significant that you talk to Jesus as if he's actually there? Because I have news for you. He's actually there. And if we start to pray like that, it's going to change our lives. It's going to change our church. Maybe that's why we don't do it. Because fundamentally we understand that if God is that real, 
then that God is going to have some things to say on some of the things I think and feel and do. But I'm going to challenge you. Ten minutes a day. Sit down in a song. Sit down in a chair. And start this adventure of prayer. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would move for us, that you would be more real for us. Lord, let us be challenged by the biblical idea of prayer. Give us an understanding that our idea of prayer is not your idea of prayer. And begin to move our practices to fit the way you intend for us to relate to you. May it be a close relationship. May it be a relationship where you are of first importance. We pray in Jesus' name.